I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well you'll see later. I stand for mayhem! I know a lot of fucking idiots who think a lot of shit is mean-spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Why Are You Laughing? Not today from the Vaulted Podcast Studios. It's just me with a special guest, Katie Hannigan. And today I'm pleased to introduce you to women in general. Uh, we're going to talk women in comedy uh, throughout time because uh, I'm very sexist and I forced Katie to do that. I figured... If we have a female <laughs> guest on, that's what we have to talk about is broads. <laughs> well, it is Women's Month. So oh, that's true. I, I didn't think, well, I'm taking a stand as a man and putting this out after Women's Month. Oh, <laughs> okay. Very good. Yes. Women's <laughs> women's year. That's what I like to say. Well, you know, I the only thing I talk about is myself and I'm a woman. <laughs> so I'm a little bit addicted to it. No, I respect that. No, I was actually happy you suggested that. Because I, uh, the only kind of female-oriented episode we've done so far is uh, Mitzi Shore. Okay. Um, and I kind of want to have a more general talk about women in comedy, but I didn't want to go to you as a woman and be like, you probably want to talk about ladies, right? That's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I have many favorite, uh, I have many favorite comedians, not all of whom are women. Um, okay. But I was thinking this might be fun, you know, just... I, I'm a bit of a fan of comedy history, just in in terms of how the perspective has changed and what people think is funny has changed over you know the last hundred years or so since it's kind of evolved into a, a real art form. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's the part of the reason I started this podcast is because I don't feel like people appreciate comedy in, enough as an art form where like there's 10 million podcasts reviewing every fucking movie that's ever been made or TV shows, <laughs> things like that. But stand up has a different feel to it for some reason where it's only like the last 10, 15 years, I feel like, where it's been really respected on the same level as some of those other genres, you know? Yes. I, I mean, I think there's definitely been a big comedy, you know, there was a big comedy bubble from like 2008 to 2016 it felt like where you know everybody and their mom was getting into comedy and and now it, things have kind of moved in a different direction where now it's kind of like the TikTok bubble and things are moving decidedly away from stand up and into you know the the metaverse i guess right. where people people who think that they're funny now instead of saying oh i'm my friends think i'm funny i'm going to try stand up now they're like oh my friends think i'm funny i'm going to try to get a diaper sponsorship on tiktok or whatever <laughs> right right so. um so i want to get into all that but first i do want to tell people about uh the lady journey podcast with you and sarah talamash another uh, very funny comedian yes yes i have a podcast called lady journey um it is a comedy lifestyle podcast and it's not necessarily for women it's for anyone on a journey um or anyone who has, as we say, uh, a feminine spirit, which we all do. You know, we all have the balance of yin and yang within ourselves. Sure. But it's just a fun podcast where we talk about what's going on in our lives and a lot of mundane things around the house and just give it, you know, that little kind of comedic light and darkness. You know, we often kind of veer off into tra traumatic topics uh, as well but we like to you know keep it funny and keep laughing i did that find it funny that you guys compared it to uh that snl delicious dish sketch <laughs> because i like i like both of you guys just from stand-up like I, that's how i found your podcast 
and mm-hmm. I've enjoyed the podcast. And then when you pointed that out, now I can't unsee it really, you know? Yes, we, we have gone to great lengths to discuss our favorite teas. We both <laughs> unknowingly got the same blender for Christmas. So I think there's something there's something really subtle that I don't think everybody can appreciate. You know, you might really have to be a comedy fan to appreciate the comedy of the mundane. But as I get into the, you know, into this genre more, I just I just love it. And I think it's kind of takes a skill to make fun of everyday stuff you know rather than like shitting your pants or whatever what have you the usual so so who were your uh influences that got you into comedy both male and female i think is a good place to start well i always enjoyed comedy when i was younger i would watch it on comedy central on reruns during the summertime when i was a kid i was about 11 12 so i would be watching a lot of um SNL reruns. And then I would watch, you know, lounge lizards, premium blend, comedy central half hour, and just, you know, have a good solid five hours in front of the TV every day, um, being an indoor child as I was. Right. Um, so I, I, the, the Saturday night live uh, influence I had, I remember I just, I really adored Sherry O'Terry and Chris Kattan at the time. I thought they were just really, you know, they were kind of huge and hilarious, but the stand up comedians that I like, I really loved Dave Attell. I remember, a few of his uh, seeing a few of his sets and just finding his um cadence he has a really funny comedic timing his cadence is really funny and um paula poundstone was huge okay. paula poundstone was huge for me and she's somebody who i don't even really you know love now necessarily but i remember just being obsessed with her and try you know in, in the nineties, you try to get your hands on other stuff. It's like, what recourse do you have? You can't Google anything, you know, just being on TV, hoping to find more Paula Poundstone stuff. Um, uh, Margaret. I, Cho. I prefer, uh, I prefer Paula Poundstone's offstage work mostly, but I'm kind of surprised by that <laughs> just because I feel like we're kind of around the same age and I don't know much about Paula Poundstone. I feel like I haven't seen much of her standup. Yeah. Her standup. I remember there was a few bits I've been meaning to um, kind of get back into it and see if I can kind of dig up some stuff and, and, compare what I used to love to what I think of it now but I remember there were a few bits of her like she had cats her cats were very bad and she would spray them you know kind of just like that mundane stuff around the house she had an airplane bit about the the pilot only giving the special sites to the people on the left of the plane you know that was kind of one of her bits and um yeah I just adored her I thought she was so hysterical and then eddie izzard was another one i loved and then as i grew older i found tom green to be so hilarious i mean he was one of my like number one comedy idols but i actually didn't get into stand-up because i loved stand-up i was in new york and i was doing performance i was came here as an actor i was doing experimental theater and then i was I had tried improv and I was just kind of looking around, trying some different mediums to see kind of what I wanted to do next. So it was really more of um, finding it as a performer than as a fan. Do you feel that's kind of how, well, let me ask you this. As uh, when you were growing up as like a fan of standup, did you feel like there were uh, a lot of girls that you could relate to in that? Because I feel like for whatever reason, and this is kind of part of the thing I wanted to talk to you about is, it seems like stand-up is like a guy's thing for some reason. And even, I mean, I guess it's more of a niche thing in general because I didn't have a lot of friends that I talked to about stand-up that I liked when I was a kid as a guy. But as a girl, it seems like even less of a, an audience there for whatever reason. I don't know why that is. 
Well, relatability doesn't have so much to do with it for me as a joke writing. So I just love a good solid joke. And I watch stand up the same way I do now as I did then, where I give it about one minute. And if it's not doing it for me immediately, I hate it. And I'm on to the next one. Okay. But, you know, I, I will go on Netflix. I'm like looking, looking, searching for the new good special, you know, I give everything two minutes and I never, I never hate watch. I never muscle through it. And I remember it was the same with me watching it, you know, flipping through the channels. Is this a good one? No, it's not. So for me, it's more like a masterful joke writing, insightful uh, authenticity. Um, I just find that so much so refreshing and so exciting. I'm so passionate about that. And a lot of times, you know, I think stand up is tricky where it's like really hard to hit that mark. So I think a lot of people who are women or men, you know, necessarily don't hit it and the women comedians that I like are women comedians who have good command of joke structure and comedy fundamentals. So that's, that's what I'm passionate about with standup. Right. And it's uh it's funny you mentioned David tell, cause we kind of, we reference a lot on the show here, people who have uh, you know, for lack of a better term, a lot of children in comedy, meaning like, uh, clearly they've influenced a lot of voices in comedy. And I would say Burr is one of those guys. Mitch Hedberg is definitely one that you see, not even imitated so much, but people that clearly their voice comes from watching these guys. Attell might be one of the biggest in that regard. And uh, as far as women go, I found, uh, at least from what I've seen, I think Sarah Silverman is like one of the biggest ever in the sense that she kind of created in the same way that Joan Rivers did, uh, almost created like an entire genre of comedians that are, again, not so much imitating her, but trying to replicate what she did, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Sarah Silverman definitely was a trailblazer in that she turned the she turned the female voice on its ear with, you know, she goes so dark so quickly and she really goes where a lot of people don't because of, I think, maybe like a feminine sense of propriety. You know, she really goes to a, a deep, dark place that that is um it's so characteristic of her. And, yeah, I definitely think I see that I see people, you know, try to imitate that especially like you know it, it is something that works if you're like a kind of pretty looking innocent looking woman to say filthy horrible things yeah it's like oh okay yes it's like it's in a way it's very like um what anthony jeselnik is doing you know he's co contrasting the way he looks with you know saying the horrible things right. although i do find sarah silverman to be like uh you know a touch more original than you know, just kind of doing the same. Oh, going, yeah. in fact, I would say Sarah Silverman's is incredibly original, almost to like a fault where now if you go back, like kids now that wouldn't uh, go and watch Sarah Silverman, um, it's like me watching, you know, whatever comic from the 80s where it's like, oh, I've heard this joke 10 million times. And it's like, yeah. no, no, you don't understand. No one did that before her, where it's an attractive girl saying this outrageous stuff. Like she used that to her advantage. And now it seems like that is uh, has almost done women a disservice because now the industry seems to look for specifically that rather than a new original female voice, you know? Yeah, well, I think it's always going to be like that because, you know, the industry is always looking for stuff that's sold in the past, you know? They're always, they're kind of the capitalist monsters of, the, <laughs> of this art form where it's like, well, we, you know, we want you to fit into the type that sells. And it's like, okay, I get it. But I think, I think... Um, I think it's like that with every 
with every art form that has like money involved where it's like, you know, it's like with the Netflix, it's like, they want to, they only want to give you a show if you have something that's sold before. So. Do you think it's starting to go away a little bit though? Just, uh, like I've seen uh, just written this week. Uh, I saw Ryan Long put out a special that seems to be doing very well. Akash Singh a couple weeks ago. And then over the last year, you know, Shane Gillis, Sam Marill, Joe List, Mark Norman, these guys have put out their own specials that have gotten enormous. Do you think that's starting to change the way people go about doing things where, uh, you know, maybe when you're making a special, you don't even think about Netflix. You're like, I might, might as well put it on myself. Well, I think the difference is all those people that you mentioned have huge social media followings. So, you know, that's great that they have that. And, you know, but that now is also something that it's like, you need to maybe like put yourself in a certain box that you can have your tribe, so to speak, that you can connect to those people. So it's like, I think somebody who is highly original, may have a hard time even doing that because they're not representing what somebody, you know, like they're not representing that type of person that these people want to get on board and like champion because you're maybe too unique for them to even wrap your mind around. Right. Um, I think, I don't know. I think it's tricky with the social media is, you know, having a following is definitely better than being beholden to the industry and only moving forward when they say, you know, it's definitely definitely better but i don't think it's necessarily and it's very weird because uh i've I've heard uh i actually i think it was uh, sarah tolmash was on with uh ari shafir i heard them talking about like we got into this industry for stand-ups and now we have to be broadcasters like we also have to do a podcast when it's like this isn't what we we're doing now stand up you have to have uh social media presence you have to be a podcaster you have to do six different things where it's like uh, you know it's very hard. And I can't even think of an example of someone who's doing it right now where all they do is stand up and that's it. Yeah. It's, you know, I don't know that it's a new thing though. Cause I think about that old Mitch Hedberg joke talking of Mitch and he's got that joke where you, he does an analogy to farming and I can't remember the joke. I'm going to butcher it, but he's basically like you spend 10 years learning how to farm, becoming a farmer, and then you grow, grow crops and people are like, so like, can you write a book? (laughs) <laughs> like, do you have a script? And he's right. like, what are you talking about? I'm a farmer. And they're like, well, yeah, but do you have like, <laughs> do you have, like, what else can you do? Right. And it's like, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a, a, a bad problem, I think, because like, in order to really be good at something, you really need to focus on it. But there just isn't necessarily that luxury now with stand up. Exactly. And there's, there's no, it seems like there's, I've gotten on TikTok just cause I figured, Oh, I have to for the podcast or whatever, just to mm-hmm. throw clips up. And I don't understand what, like I see some videos with 40 million views and mine have like nine. And I'm like, I feel like I'm doing all the hashtags, right. But I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Yeah. That's why I think the social media thing is, you know, it's good for some people that it allows them to become independent of the industry but there are also a lot of flaws within it. Like I think on TikTok, like the people that started doing it the second that it came out were the people that really became successful from it, you know? So it's not necessarily like, oh, here is an, um, a, a, an objective uh, wit place for you to get your stuff seen by other people. It's like, now this is a, just a different arbitrary system that we have. Right to the arbitrary system of like the industry, you know? Yeah. And actually that's a good point you make. Cause one of the things I note. So uh, if you go back, they said like one of the very early uh, uh, famous women in comedy 
was uh, someone by the name of Fanny Bryce, who started as a burlesque dancer. And mm-hmm. I noticed because in other episodes we've talked about like uh, Rodney Dangerfield and Jackie Gleason. I think like Rodney started as like a singing waiter and shit like that, where you're right. It is, you know, as much as I might complain about it now, it is back then like no one really knew what to do uh, to get into entertainment then either, where it's like you sang, you danced, you did whatever the fuck you could to make a name for yourself. So I guess it's just shifted into, you know, TikTok yeah. or whatever now. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think, um, you know, it's interesting. TikTok is really interesting uh, in terms of like the evolution of, you know, social media. It's like now gotten to this point where it's like, instead of like watching TV, you know, like we're like Quibi, you know, Quibi completely bombed because it's like, who wants to watch TV when you could be TV? You know, it's like, we're catering to like this deeply um, American narcissism that we all have, that we all want to be like superstars, you know? And it's like, oh, I don't think that's actually good for the people that really want to put time and energy into developing a creative talent. If now I'm competing with like a lady who shows her dog's butt, you know? <laughs> yeah. What What do you think, just while we're on social media, I will I'll get back to women in a second, but while we're talking about the social media stuff, what do you think of people kind of... Uh, that becoming the way that standup is going where you have to put some sort of material on uh, Instagram and TikTok because now I've heard a lot of conversation from people uh, like I've heard guys like Nate Bargetsy talking about this where you're not supposed to do that. Even like putting crowd work where that doesn't burn your material. Now you're almost encouraging the audience to go out and yell something dumb during the show to be like, Oh, I'm helping. Like, do you think there's an element of uh, putting out that much content kind of ruining the art of standup itself? Um, I don't know that it's ruining it. I think I view it, as, it. I should say. Yeah, I think I have to view it for my own sanity as an evolution, you know. And it's like what what evolves survives. And I want to evolve myself in a way that's authentic, that I can, you know, be putting up stuff, not necessarily throwing shit at the wall, throwing clips up burning, burning content, you know, throwing out like tweets, just so I can like keep my head above water, but. I want to evolve in a way that's authentic to me as an artist that can also, you know, maintain, I don't want to be somebody who's like, Oh, I never put anything online because then it's like, you're, you're extinct. You know, you're kind of, it's like the dinosaur. Right. So that's how I feel about it. But I also have, I started comedy in 2010. When I started comedy, it was like, you never, even if you're in a sketch, you don't ever post that on YouTube because it's going to be on there forever. And then it's going to be out there. And then people are going to look back and they're going to see like, Ooh, the production quality is bad. And you don't ever want people to see that. You don't ever post your material because that's your, once you post it, people can steal it. They're not going to come to your show, but now it is almost completely a 180 where it's like, you have to post your material even to get people to come to the show. So it's been hard for me to just totally change my mindset where I was like, when TikTok came out, I'm like, Oh, you know, that's like for amateur people. And now I'm like, Oh my God, I have to do TikTok. So I'm trying to view it in a way that's like, everything is always changing and I'm, and it's not like a loss to me. I'm, it's just what's happening. I'm going with the flow, but that is hard for me. Cause I come from a live performance background. That's basically all I ever did theater um, and stand up. And I've done like a little TV acting or whatever here and there, which I don't even really count that, but like live performance, something like TikTok for live performance is totally counterintuitive and strange to me. Right. So I feel instinctually that I want to reject it. 
Uh, well, you bring up live performance, and it's funny looking back at like the history of women where like in the early days of standup, you did have guys like uh, Lenny Bruce and Mort Saul who were just like talking and giving, you know, Woody Allen who were just giving their opinions and kind of naturally talking. Whereas women were only allowed to do standup in the early days. If they were essentially like characters, like either they had to be, uh, you know, very attractive. And that was kind of the joke or like Phyllis Diller and uh, Moms Mabley were two of the early ones where the entire yeah. joke was that they're not attractive and they're miserable housewives. And so it's interesting to look yeah. back and see like we've kind of we would allow women on stage if they were these specific characters that like we were comfortable with. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. It's interesting to think about the social context of people like Phyllis Diller and Moms Mabley. I, I, I mean, Phyllis Diller was definitely doing like the character of the housewife, you know, and mm -hmm. she had some good, she had some good, you know, enjoyable joke structure there, but I guess it just is shows like what the wider context of society was, but I don't know that, you know, I don't know that there were even what I wonder is like how many other women were trying to get in comedy, you know, because right. moms Mabley was doing a thing where she was more kind of like, you know, making herself like more of a character, making herself like a little, like more unattractive to right. get away with, you know, making sex jokes and making, you know, being a little more lewd, which is kind of the opposite of Phyllis Diller, who she was going so over the top, so over the top to be like this caricature of herself. Have, but you, ever watched think, the, have you seen the show uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I have I have watched one episode of it and I have to say, like, I just find it triggering. I find it triggering as a female comedian In because because, you know, it's something where it's like I have always been working so hard to just have like the tiniest success in stand up. <laughs> I've like really like dedicated my life and sacrificed everything to you didn't it. Just get drunk and walk on stage and become successful. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like to, to watch stuff where it's like people just fell ass backward into success. Like yeah. I just, I can't appreciate it. You know, as I'm like drinking, like my hotel has only decaf coffee and like, there's like a stain on the bed. I'm like, <laughs> this is, I love this show, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, so that, that's been a little triggering for me. Although I know people that work on the show and I have like really been trying to gear myself up and like, you know, let's watch it and just enjoy it for what it is. And it doesn't need to be like internalized as a reflection on my success. Right, right, right. No, I, I, so I do like it uh, as a show. Like I said, if you take it for what it is, I, I do enjoy it. Um, but it is funny. The reason I brought it up is because it's kind of funny to take that 1950s, 60s setting where like the only thing really allowed on stage was, uh, you know, that kind of uh, uh, browbeaten housewife and right. turn basically a superhero character is what Mrs. Maisel is, where it's like the character is very funny and they write, they actually write, which is rare in film or TV that they write like decent jokes for a standup. Mm -hmm. um, but they're writing with a 2022 mind frame for a character that exists in the 1950s and it's like well you're basically just creating a superhero so i'm not sure if this is as empowering right. as you want it to be right right yeah it, it's like it's like a show for people that don't aren't really comedy fans and don't know anything about stand-up i think <laughs> right where it's like oh here's a fantasy that you can live in and you can see that because you know there are like 
I think like that show inspired like a lot of older women to like do stand up for the first time and think like, oh, if she could do it, I could do it. And it's like, well, you know, you're in for a rude awakening because that is it is nowhere along the bounds of reality of what right. anybody experiences. Not even like, you know, not even somebody who's super successful has a has this kind of like effortless transcendence where it's like you you all of a sudden are just you just understand comedy fundamentals you know right you're a perfect joke writer <laughs> yeah um but well how do you feel about uh in general like uh you, I, you do see that more with people who already have a name like uh the couple that come to mind would be like I remember stormy daniels i think was playing like comedy clubs and stuff like oh that. yeah i, I did how see do you that. feel about that are you of the mindset that like hey if they're selling tickets they deserve a spot or do you think that's kind of disruptive to comedy you know that's one of the things i think is like really painful about comedy is that you know of the art forms it does have a low barrier it has a low barrier to entry you know that's why a lot of people end up getting in stand-up and that's one of the it's one of the painful things but also one of the beautiful things i mean i don't know if you remember this but there was a few um years ago there was a an article that came out and it was like why is it only rich white kids that can do improv? You go to the UCB and every show is rich white kids. Right. And it was like, well, I'll tell you why. It's because you, the classes are a grand. And yeah. then once you, once you hang out at the theater enough and like immerse yourself, first of all, you can't be doing that if you have any kind of like sustainable day job. It's, um, you know, it's expensive and it's right. cost, it's costly in terms of like time and energy as well. Um, then on top of that, you're booking a show there and then you have to pay for it, you know? So it's just like, oh, well, no wonder, no wonder it's only these rich white kids from like upper middle-class families because they're the only people that can afford to do these. Where stand-up, you know, has a much lower barrier to entry. So it has a much more um, diverse uh, array of people that are involved in it and that are able to kind of go up the ranks and develop a career in it. And that's one of the awesome things about stand-up. But one of the bad things is that also everybody can do it, including like, you know, you'll be on like, I, you know, I still do bar shows, you know, we'll run around to a bar show. And then like, I'm on a bar show with um, a supermodel wife, a rich wife who's like a 10 she's had a ton of plastic surgery and she's decided that this is her new thing like she's done with her sticker collection <laughs> and now she's trying stand up and you know i just try to take it with like a grain of salt where it's like you know what okay you you know you can do whatever you want especially when if it's like another woman like just trying you know just having self-expression like stormy daniels she's not ever gonna be a legitimate comedian but if she wants to pretend that she's a comedian and have a show and pretend to be doing comedy like yeah go for it right well it's and i'm curious your perspective on this as a woman because it was something i was going to bring up um just kind of in general but it came up with the like the improv thing and uh you know that i, I think that's a perfect point and that's a big reason why like uh people have looked at like snl uh, over the years before the last, you know, four or five years and said, so, like, uh, talked about diversity in the cast and things like that. And a lot of it is not that Lauren Michaels or the people at NBC are racist. It's more of a class thing. And I think a lot of the dissension, whether it's men and women or people of uh, people of color versus white people, whatever, I think it all comes down to class in a lot of ways. And we've almost like pinned, uh, been pinned against each other to make it think it's like, you know, women versus men or something like that. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think I don't have enough of experience to say what it is really. Cause I feel like that's something that's like, I'm like such a type A person. I'm like, well, let's, let's get down to it and measure it. You know, listen, like how many, how many women I definitely know that from the beginning of the time I started stand up to now, there's way more women involved, at least in the New York scene. Right. So that's definitely grown a lot. I think there's a lot more people who are um, differently identified, you know, like trans people or people who are non-binary that have come into the stand-up scene in that time as well. Um, and I think it's just because um, more people are wanting to perform. I think that's a big part of it. I think more people are deciding that they're going to take a little turn at it. And so it's just increasing numbers in a way. And I think maybe also people are seeing more, um, more people like them in stand-up contexts and then being inspired to do it. But, but I don't know. I, I don't come from a, I would say I come from like a middle-class background, middle, middle-class, you know, I don't think I had any, I've had like a lot of student loan debt and, um, didn't necessarily have like an upper leg, um, on like, on, on pursuing my dreams that other people may have. Um, but at the same time, like I always had like electricity in my house growing up and I always had like food on the table, you know? So I don't know. I think there are definitely people that come from wealthy backgrounds in the arts who are connected. And if you kind of like peer in, you can like see the connection and, um, you can be like, Oh, well, you know, I see how something worked out for that person there, but I don't know that it's necessarily definitive. Sure. I mean, like I brought up SNL and like, you'll find that a lot of them are Harvard grads, where even if it's not a direct connection, that's just a thing that links them where they have something in common that yeah. that gets them there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, I think that is a big part of it, but as a woman, have you found um, trouble or basically any difference based on your gender, as far as getting booked or stage time or anything like that? I mean, yeah, I've definitely found differences. It's hard to say though, because it's so, it's so subjective. Like on one show, maybe I am booked because there's less female comedians at my level that are working in New York and they needed to have a woman on the lineup. And I happen to be booked there, you know, to help them out Mm -hmm. on another show. Maybe I was booked because they're passing me over for like a guy who's 21 that they think this is going to be the next star. And they would rather have, a young guy on who could be like blow up and be a star than somebody like me, you know, or maybe another show I'm passed over because someone has a big social media presence. Right. I think in general, I've been booked on standup more because I'm a woman, but maybe booked in less contact and other contexts less, like maybe on like um, a writing show or something like that. Like when I did JFL, I think we had, 10 people in my group, I was unrepped. And I think it was only three women. So I don't know what the, what it's are It's hard the- to say. Cause I think, because what I always wonder in situations like that, is it, is it only three women because they didn't want more than three women or because fewer women were interested in getting into stand-up in general, you know? Right. Does it reflect the ratio, which right. it may, it right. totally may. Um, we mentioned we talked about in the uh, in the Mitzi Shore episode uh, that the belly room at the comedy store was uh, it's called that because it was originally for belly dancing. And then Mitzi Shore turned it into for a time, um, specifically a room for women to perform. 
And then, you know, now to this day, you see shows specifically geared towards uh, women or people of color or non-binary people, whatever these, you know, these uh, uh, kind of identity specific shows. Do you think those are good for comedy or good for women in general? Or do you think it does too much to kind of divide and be like, these are women comedians, like puts too much focus on your gender rather than the fact that you're a comedian? Well, I did a show with a friend of mine. Her name is Corinne Fisher, and she's a pretty well-known comedian from her Mm -hmm. podcasts. And we did a show in the Fringe Festival here in New York City in 2015, and it was called The Comedian Project, because that was our working title, which we never worked our way to a title, so we just kept it. But um, our premise for the show was that as female comedians, our acts are defined by our experiences with men, sex, dating, relationships, and our identities uh, in relation to men. So uh, we were trying to decide, we were thinking of like specific types of women, you know, the woman who only talks about her husband, the woman who only talks about dating. And Corinne was doing her podcast, which is about sex at the time. And she felt like, oh, I kind of want to break away from that and try something that's in a completely different direction. So we did kind of an experiment, you know, just kind of researched it. And and we did find out that the topics of sex, dating and relationships and even also we were kind of including feminism, feminism in it, Mm -hmm. um, because it's, you know, putting yourself in relation to a man as a, as a woman comedian. And, but we found that sex dating and relationships were the most talked about topics across the board for all comedians, but we did, we wrote a specific show where we don't, we don't do any jokes of us in relation to a man. You know, it was, uh, jokes of like uh, ma- mostly observational humor and you know personal autobiographical stuff yeah. and it was really interesting and then we ran a show here in new york where we would invite men and women comedians on just you could talk about anything not sex dating or relationships and we, we got really interesting feedback from people where they're like wow what a unique exercise to highlight that i end up focusing on that stuff you know I don't think like necessarily focusing on your identity is bad for comedy, but I think like, you know, my passion of of comedy is jokes. You know, I think jokes are so funny, no matter what background you have and you're adding your own uniqueness and your own spin to it just makes it more special. But I do think that there are a lot of people who want to do comedy and they don't really want to put the work in of like, learning how to do it, which just seems baffling to me because I don't, I just don't understand that. But I think a lot of people, there are some people that just are narcissistic and they just want attention and they see like, oh, open mic, anyone can perform. That means I can go on stage and I can talk, you know, hold everybody hostage with my story. So I think like if people are using identity at the expense of like developing the skill of stand-up, then that's kind of a, a bummer, but it's also just a show I wouldn't go to. Um, maybe uh, maybe somebody else they would love it so yeah it's funny because now we, there's so much discussion about how uh you know uh inequal society is and how divided we are and things like that yet we're at a time where like the reason i'm a fan of uh comics like you and sarah and like i don't think of you as female comics because i feel i've heard you on podcasts and i've heard you stand up and things and it doesn't feel like oh this is a lady comic or this is a woman doing comedy it feels like you know these they're one of the comics that i like um <laughs> thank you and, nice. but i but genuinely and i feel like that has kind of been torn down at least among like good comedians that people respect and like listening to like if you listen to all these pod like the podcasting 
community, I guess. If you listen to these, there doesn't seem to be, you know, when a, a female comic is a guest on uh, whoever, you know, Ari Shafir's podcast or uh, mm-hmm. uh, Sam and Mark or whoever. Um, it doesn't feel like, oh, they're having a lady on. It feels like, oh, this is just a comic that can hang with them and they have a good time with. Yeah, well, I think part of that is just like the rapport that we all have, because like we've all known each other for years and years. Like, you know, Sarah, Sam, Mark, we all did open mics together. I know them from like my first open mics. So I think that's part of it where it's like, oh, we all we're all in kind of like, I wouldn't say a click, really. We're not like going to barbecues or something together. Well, Sarah and I do, you know, we're, we're like friends, but but we do have like a shared um, you know, community, which I hate when people say that because it's like we're not. Oh, like, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. <laughs> again, we're not like we're not like doing food drives or something, but <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's one thing that I do like about stand up. It's like you know a little camaraderie of like we're all on the same team, the team of like we want to do good material and we don't want to be hacks and we want to you know be authentic and right. and we want to work and we want to put in the time and the energy. Yeah, so that's why I'm I'm curious when you hear like all this uh, division of you know uh, inequality, and for whatever reason, it's hit stand up and I guess entertainment very hard. And maybe part of that is because it's like kind of a distraction from the reality of inequality in other professions. But it does seem like at least the performers don't have that. Like it isn't as divided among performers. So maybe it's an industry thing. I don't know, but it doesn't feel like there's as much of it as is reported in the media. Say, Yeah, I really don't know. I think there's a trend in, um, it does seem that there's like a trend, um, in the entertainment industry towards inclusion and towards diversity. And, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying like, let's give a trans person a show or, you know, let's make a show where like we can have a bigger girl be the star when, you know, we never did anything before with that person. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think that there, you know, I don't think it's polarizing in any way. And I also don't think that um, I don't have a scarcity mindset with that type of stuff where it's like, well, if this bigger girl gets a show, then I'll never get a show, you know? Well, especially now when there's 10 million streaming services and everything. There's 10 million streaming services. And, And also the thing about that is too, is like, that's a trend. It's a trend in the industry. And I think that it's a trend for the better, but I also think that it's a trend and I think it's going to be a trend for a little while. And then I think a new trend is going to come and then another new trend is going to come. And that's kind of how this industry works, where they're kind of trying to guess what people want and do it. Well, I think there's um, part of that is and a lot of the coverage on it, like is because there are times where people are put in roles where they feel like, oh, they got this because they're a woman or because they're, what you know, whatever, it, part of whatever group rather than, like, they earned it. And, uh, like, kind of an injustice that I think is done to some female comedians. Like, um, Amy Schumer, when Amy Schumer got famous, I thought she was genuinely very funny. Yeah. But I think there, there was a real disservice done to her when it became, oh, she's now the most famous comedian on planet Earth. Amy, go ahead and speak for all women now. (laughs) And then she kind of she was kind of forced into this role where now she's talking about, you know, political issues and things. It's like that wasn't who she was. So there's there's at times because of um, maybe advantages as being like lifted up in entertainment. There's also disadvantages that come with that where it's like 
now you have to speak for an entire group rather than just be who you are. Yeah, well, I mean, Amy was the highest performer in her genre, male or female, in 2016, I think. So right. having that right on the same year that Trump got elected, I could right. see how you would feel a need. Especially 2016, the end of 2016 and 2017 was such a bizarre year where I even felt like conflicted as a comedian, where it's like, do I pivot to, to political jokes? Now <laughs> Everyone did, it seems like, yeah. Same joke. Like, yeah, it was a big, like, rush to, like, make fun of Donald Trump, make fun of, like, like, um, uh, I'm for, I'm for blanking out the guy's name, Tennessee. He's like awful. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It doesn't matter. He's sure. a Kentucky Senator. <laughs> I'll whatever. pretend I know you. I'm, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything, but I know I'm like, I'm, no, not not but I'm just going to say <laughs> words until it pops out. But so I think there was like a pressure on her where it's like a lot of, I think a lot of people who get that type of fame where, it's, where it's like, well, am I going to use this fame for good? Like I have a potential to do, you know, I have a potential to help people and, and I like to think that, you know, not necessarily that I would start being like super political, but that if I did get a lot of money and a lot of fame, I would use it to help other women or, you know, to help people who have like had a, a harder struggle than me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, sorry, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, you're good. Well, kind of, kind of around the same time, maybe this is a better way to ask, uh, kind of around that same time, like 2017-ish, um, I remember uh, Eliza Schlesinger got a lot of like blowback. Oh, the she said she said thing, something, yeah. yeah, to the effect of like she's the only woman who has a a World War II joke or something like that, which I felt like was a very uh, arrogant thing yeah. to say and isn't really true. But do you think there's anything to her greater point that like uh, kind of like we were talking about earlier, where there are a lot more women that feel like they need to talk about sex or relationships or things like that. And it doesn't seem like there are, you know, the female equivalent of uh, Colin Quinn, let's say, or something who's someone who's talking about history or, you know, kind of fringe things like that. Well, I do think there's something to that. You know, it's like we're all just trying not to bomb. So right. if I'm talking about history and I have a well-constructed joke and it's bombing, I'm not going to be able to keep doing that at my level. Colin Quinn can do that. Colin sure. Quinn can go on stage and fuck around and be like, well, I'll get it next time, you know? And Eliza mm -hmm. Schlesinger, from what I see from where her career is at, she can probably do that too. I'm somebody who's trying to survive as like a club comic and like touring like small rooms around the country. So like, I can't go up and be like, well, I'm fucking Bill Hicks now. Get over <laughs> it. It's going to be a TED talk, you know, you should. I just start dressing like him and everything. <laughs> but, but I also don't want to do that. You know, I also right, don't right. want to do that. I want to be an entertainer and I want to have, I want people to have a great time. And, and I do have jokes that are about history and I, you know, I have a, I have kind of a, a range, but I think um, Eliza Slossinger was totally out of line and, you know, she doesn't have a good reputation as supporting women comedians. Oh, when that, that right? whole thing came out. Oh yeah. When that whole thing came out, I remember hearing from other women comics that like, how could she see any women doing jokes about history when she leaves the second her set is done and she gets there and goes on stage immediately. Okay. She doesn't book female openers. Yeah. So you're not exposing yourself to any other women comedians who may have a different point of view than you. And then you're being critical, you know? So it's like, she's somebody who it's like, well, you know, if you had actually a concept of what is going on in comedy, and if you were actually 
helping women, which not necessarily that you have to, but you probably wouldn't have that perspective of being so much better than everybody else. Yeah. That's so funny you say that. Cause I didn't know that about her specifically, but there is a, a you know, a, a tint of like, maybe she has a, a point there somewhere, but when you throw yourself in, I'm like, I'm the only one who's great at this. It's like, Oh, well, that's a little shitty. Well, if you watch her sets, if you watch like her specials, like she has a lot of jokes where she's like really making fun of women in a way that's like, you know, she's kind of casting herself in a bad light where it's like, she's out with her friends and she's making fun of like how we're all dumb bitches. You know, it's like, you have those jokes too. And you're clearly <laughs> surviving off of those jokes. Yeah, I think too. she made a romantic comedy that was basically just like every other romantic comedy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But you know what? The thing is too, like if she wasn't famous, she, you know, it's like comedians also talk shit. We're like all psycho and narcissist you know it's like yeah. she wasn't famous like i'm sure i've said stuff that's completely out of pocket you know especially like in the back of the room like talking shit about like somebody and then like to have it be like put on like page six it's like well whoops right. whoopsie we all say <laughs> stuff like that you know uh, i mean i don't i actually don't i actually am not 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 like that self-confident but <laughs> yeah no i i put myself down I, like i'm on the opposite spectrum <laughs> yeah um, you also date a very funny comedian, Mike Vecchione. Yes, um, who just came in here. He tried to sneak in here <laughs> a second ago. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, have you, is, is there any weirdness uh, with dating a comedian, whether it's um, industry-wise or, or just between the two of you as far as performers? Um, no, no, there's no weirdness. Um, it's a good relationship for me because he just is really understanding of what I'm going through. Um, we, Mike is somebody who's been doing comedy for about 10 years longer than me. So I think he understands the comedic mind in a way that no normal, you know, non-comedic guy that I've ever dated has. So, I mean, like most of our relationship is just like goofing around and, you know, we, we, like if I'm feeling something like, oh, you know, I had a set last night and this guy was like talking out to me, like he gets it immediately. And so it's just really, really great for me to be around somebody who gets it. Yeah. And I imagine it's going to be better to uh, be with someone that understands just your schedule as far as like traveling and working nights and things like that. Whereas if you're a guy with a guy that works nine to five, you might even never see him, you know? Yeah, I tried to date a couple guys that did a nine to five. And, you know, it's so funny because like the guys always this is something that's funny as a female comedian. And I know guy comics have this, too, where they date a girl and they tell her, like, I'm going to be out every night. And then girls like a lot of girls like want you to stay home with them and they want you to come back early and like watch a movie on the couch. But I would go out with these guys and I'd be like, hey, I'm a comedian. You know, I I work nights every night is comedy, but but they don't even get it they don't get it that when you say every night is comedy, it's like every night, like I'm booked. I'm not taking a night off to come see you in your band. Like what I would never, (laughs) I'm doing my own thing. And I think it's like, I think there's like, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm going out on a limb to say this, but it's like a lot of times in a male female dynamic with, with men who are less emotionally mature, they you know, maybe these guys who like make a lot of money, for example, like they want to be the main character in the relationship. And it's like, I just don't have the time and energy for that. 
Um, I'm not expecting for me to be the main character in the relationship, but like, I will just be single then because I have to do my <laughs> things that I need to do. And I'm not going to be like cooking you dinner and, you know, yeah, yeah. or even uh, maybe not main character, but like, um, do you, have you found in dating, obviously not with Mike or another comedian, but like, are guys intimidated by a girl that's funnier than them? Like it, because oh, yeah. with me, that would be a weird thing. Like if I was dating a girl <laughs> that was funny, that would be, I'm sure I'd, Hopefully I would like it, but it would be intimidating. <laughs> I imagine, you know, it is intimidating to them. I think because, um, I think society, uh, I think we're socialized for men to be funny and for women to laugh. I think that's like one of the struggles of the female comedian. It's like, if you think about the class clown in your school, it was like, Oh, that wasn't a girl. Right. It was a little boy. And we, even it was a boy in my school. And I was like over here, like trying to break in, you know, I'm like bombing and this kid's like crushing. <laughs> Yeah. And so I think like a lot of guys that I have gone on dates with have felt an immediate pressure for them to be funny. And it's like, well, I'm not on. I'm not on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying yeah, to find yeah. out if you're like going to kill me in my sleep. <laughs> I'm like doing something totally different, you know. So and I don't like a type of there's a type of way that people try to be funny. And I know it comes from a place of insecurity and, and women do this too, but they do it in a little bit of a different way. But guys who are insecure about, you know, they're trying to be funny, but they're a little maybe self-conscious, it, they're confrontational. Right. And I don't ever deal with that. I, it's, I find it so off-putting, but like, I don't deal with being teased. I'm not being nagged. Like I I'll just leave. I'll leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, I don't, I'm not going to be like, Oh, nice shoes. I'm like, bye. I'm not yeah, some kind of emotional abuse right now. <laughs> I think that's a big thing with comedians. Cause I think kind of what creates comedians is a, you know, sort of a, not, I don't know if this is the case with you, but sort of like a self hatred almost, or a weird, a weirdness, like an awkwardness an uncomfortableness when you were a kid, yet a sense of humor comes off as confidence. So I think a lot of people misjudge humor for like, oh, this person's cocky or confident or something like that. That just doesn't necessarily yeah. exist in most comedians. Yeah. Well, also, I've talked with a lot of my friends who are comics about this, but also like comedians are around people so much more than like the average person. It's like our days are like we're doing podcasts. We're having a conversation with a stranger that you've never met before, but we're like putting them at ease after the show. We're chatting before the show. We're chatting. It's like yeah. we're talking. We're having so much more social interaction than like the median person. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're feeling awkward, actually. But we're just like doing what we usually do. And we seem confident, even though like most comedians are like deeply introverted. And we're like, oh, my God, did I just like, did I just, did I just bomb on this podcast? I don't know what I said about Eliza Schlossinger. Is she going to come <laughs> after me? Like, you know, it's like we're just spiraling internally, but we just seem like, oh, we're just like having a conversation. This is fine. But meanwhile, like we're barely keeping it together. <laughs> yeah, the title will be Katie Hannigan roast Eliza Schlossinger. <laughs> Please, uh -huh. you know, any press is good press. I would love it if she would pick <laughs> it up. She would actually uh, help me. She would help a woman, so she probably will never see it. <laughs> I like that. Um, actually, I meant to mention to you at the beginning of the show as I was looking things up just in general about women in comedy. Um, at the start of comedy, what was defined as a woman's sense of humor was her ability to laugh at a man's jokes. That's genuinely yeah. how they found a funny woman was someone who like, can laugh at a guy's jokes back in the day. So we've come yeah. a long way, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, we have. But, you know, I'm not, I don't even know um, necessarily that it's like we've totally eclipsed it. Because I remember like, 
when I was younger, even like thinking like when I was, when I was younger, I was really shy. So, and I had like a lot of guy friends for some reason. And I remember thinking like, I'm hanging with the guys, you know, that like Mm -hmm. sense of like, I'm kind of validated because I have like, you know, male friendship and male attention. And it's like, I think that's, we've definitely, you know, come uh, away from it consciously as a society, but unconsciously, I think it's still there of being like, oh, they get me, they get me. And I feel like that too, even as a comedian. And it's something, you know, one of the reasons I started the Lady Journey podcast with Sarah was because I was like, I want to really make a clean break away from um, the audiences that I have been basically catering to with my comedy, which was like comedy fans. You know, a lot of people who are the fans of every other podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dan, Mike, Mark, Joe, all these guys. And I realized like, oh, you know, I did Skankfest, which was great. And I love Skankfest and I love everybody. I love all those guys. I love everybody there, except for the people that, you know, except for the psycho people (laughs) um, who will not be named. But um, I realized I'm like, oh, you know, I had great shows there. The crowds were supportive. But I realized I'm like going through my set, I'm like writing a line through every joke that's addressed to women. So I'm going out and like the entire crowd is dudes. I'm like this, my my show isn't for you. My show isn't for you. So that's one of the reasons that we decided to do the podcast where it's like, I just don't really, I'm making comedy that men can enjoy if they want to, but I'm done kind of like catering to this certain type of person that isn't really as much of my fan as they are of my boyfriend or, you know, whoever else. No, I I think that's a good thing. But I I will say I've been to multiple skank fests and I think that's one of the better comedy audiences because where it is all, you know, chubby bearded men that look like me, I think they are pretty accepting. I haven't seen as much, you know, there'll be articles written about like Legion of Skanks or whatever that are like this Nazi racist podcast. Whereas when you meet these people, it's like they couldn't be nicer. They couldn't be sweeter. and They're shy and timid. Like it's not what is necessarily portrayed by like the name Skankfest or something like that. Yeah, well, I, I didn't connect with anybody too personally. And honestly, I have never listened to the podcast. I know mm-hmm. that's crazy to say, but I have just never listened to it. Sure. But um. But yeah, I, the shows were good. I will say that the shows were good. However, I guess the distinction for me is coming from like, these people are not following me. You know, they're not going to my show at Skankfest and then following me on Twitter or like you, following yeah. me on Instagram or like go joining my Patreon. You know, I think they're joining some other people's or they're already on some other people's. So I think like for me, I just wanted to say like, okay, I'm breaking away from these people. If you're not going to support me as an artist, then I'm, you know, I'm kind of going <laughs> to. Go I will say it. though, that's how I found it. Like I knew I found you, I believe through Mike Vecchione I, or possibly I saw you on a podcast. I'm not sure which came first, but that is how I found you and just became uh, like a genuine fan of yours and Sarah's and people like that as well. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. Well, maybe there's hope. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to like totally wall them off and be like, my comedy will never be for you, man. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, no, <laughs> so I, got, I, I, hear I you. do want to include those people, but, but I did have like a turning point at the Skank Fest where I was like, I really think maybe I don't, you know, I want to cater more towards a little bit different type of person, but, you know, feel free to jump on board. If you have like sure. a sleeveless leather vest, you know, come on board, come on the lady journey. You're welcome. That's that's probably the best thing to do. And that's why Lady Journey is cool, because it's things you're interested in talking about. So people that don't like it don't have to listen. But I recommend everyone goes and listens to Lady Journey with Katie and Sarah and uh, anything else. Where else can people find you, Katie? Well, I do have an album coming out, which I guess I should have mentioned that 
at the beginning. Oh, shit, I'm sorry. I could, I could throw something at the beginning. Yeah, when's that coming? Yeah, oh, okay. Well, so that was one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast because I do have- Oh, my- Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, it's my, don't apologize. I think it's it's me. A woman apologizing, what? <laughs> it <laughs> is your fault, Katie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, it is. Um, no, I, have a, I do have an album coming out. So it's coming out, it's going to be available March 18th and it'll be available wherever it's global release. But I self-produced the album completely and wholly on my own. So it was a big, um, big deal for me. It's been the best hits of the past 12 years doing uh-huh. stand-up uh, in New York and around the world. Um, that's the U.S. and Puerto Rico. And um, and it's going to be available on my website, www.katiehannigan backslash album. And uh, again, everywhere. So I prefer that people buy it, but you can, you know, if you have like Apple Music, you can get it on there and stream it and I'll get money, I think, I hope. I don't know. Okay. I don't really, I don't, I'm, I fell off a lot of the details, but. So katiehannigan.com backslash album? Yes. All right. So check that out. And Katie, have a little fucking confidence. When I mentioned all these people that are putting out their own specials to throw something out there. Tell me. <laughs> I know. My head, that's not where my head was at. My head, I was trying <laughs> to, you know, I was on the social media. I was like, I want to do a meaningful contribution to this podcast. <laughs> no, I'll <laughs> throw something at the beginning, but I appreciate you coming yeah, on, Katie. You. I am a fan. I don't know how much history we actually discussed, but I thought it was an interesting conversation. And uh, you know I appreciate I you coming we just up went with it. We just went with it and I loved it. So thank you so much, Mike. Anytime. Thank you. I hope you uh, come again. Soon. When you're in uh, Boston, we'll get you on again. Yes, I'd love to. All right, Katie. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you, thank you for listening to another episode of Why You Laughing? And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>